Yes, yes, welcome to Bite Size B2B Marketing, where our aim is to give B2B companies easy to digest tips to help improve their marketing efforts. I'm joined today by Sam Dunning, the co-owner of WebChoice, a web agency based in England, and he is the host of the highly successful B2B marketing podcast, The Business Growth Show. And it's my pleasure to have him on the podcast today. Sam, how are you doing, my man? Steve, thanks for having me on, man. Excited to chat today. Should be a good one. Yeah, me too. Me too. It's been long overdue. We've been following each other on LinkedIn a while. And yeah, looking forward to jumping into this with you and having a wide ranging chat about search engine optimization for B2B companies. So let's kick it off with our first question. So nice, hopefully easy one. But why is SEO important for B2B companies in 2023? You've only got to go on LinkedIn for five minutes or so if you're in B2B and you'll see a bunch of people saying SEO is no longer as good as it was, like you should rely on dark social, word of mouth, you should do this new page strategy. But the truth is everyone right now buys or finds solutions in different ways. And there's plenty of data out there to tell you that tons of people still use Google as one of their first ports of call when they need a solution. And from a B2B perspective, if you're not showing up when your ideal clients are quite literally searching for your service, your product, your widget, your tech offering, your SaaS solution, then your competitors probably are. So if you're not ranking decently, if you're not on the top few spots of page one, your competitors are simply going to steal your traffic, your opportunities and get a steady flow of inbound ops for their sales team whilst you miss out. Yeah, agreed. We, yeah, I think the last few guests that we've interviewed, a couple of the episodes are live, a couple of them aren't yet, but quite a large portion, well, not a large portion of it, but one key point of it was not saying, neither used the word, say SEO is dead, but it kind of felt like that was the phrase. It was like, look, that's in the past. The new is now appearing in these communities, getting in front of your audience and marketing in that way. Whereas I know you've been, quite a big proponent on LinkedIn of saying that that's great and you should do that but then you've also got all of this demand that you should be capturing that's already there ready for the taking and that's what you should be focusing on as well exactly exactly I mean like you said there's there's so many marketers out there that say SEO is not as effective as it was and people buy differently now but just like you mentioned there Steve everyone has their own way of doing things and the B2B buying cycle, unless you sell something super low ticket, it's pretty complex. When you talk to, when you're looking at buyers that are perhaps investing, I don't know, a grand plus into a solution, they're not going to wake up and decide to buy your widget or your tool or your SaaS offer. They're going to take some consideration, take some thought around it. And there's probably going to be a number of channels that influence them. So things like communities are important. Things like podcasts, YouTube channels are important, as is LinkedIn, as is dark social, where people talk offline in WhatsApp groups, Skype groups, Slack channels, whatever. But if you're not showing up organically in search when people are actually needing your offer, then you're simply missing out a chance to get that piece of brand equity. Because SEO is not only good just to capture the conversion or capture the inquiry, but it can also build on brand equity and brand reputation. Yeah. Because if, if your site is constantly showing up when people have a question around your niche, when people are trying to learn more about your niche, when people are comparing you to a common competitor, if you're showing up each and every time, you're going to get that brand equity in the back of their mind. So it's just helping position you as the, the top choice, as well as giving you a chance to capture the demo request or the lead. 
Yeah, because it's almost like saying that blindly focusing on the community aspect of it, you're assuming that the customer isn't doing their due diligence. They've just got a referral and that's it. They're like, okay, let's go with it. But if it's a high ticket purchase, they're going to be going to Google and they're going to be doing some research themselves, might go to ChatGPT do the research themselves, but they're still going to do research around what they're going to be purchasing. So if you can be recommended in that community, but also appear in the search, that's like a double, wow, they're in both places. And if you're not recommended in the in that communities or dark social or any of these other platforms, then you do appear over here. Then it's again, your other chance to get put into the mix of when the typical vendors have to get three or four quotes together make a decision you'll be in the running then so exactly and someone laid out something i interviewed a guy called blake i forgot his name surname a while ago but he laid out a really good point that stuck in my mind recently that when you look at from a b2b perspective most of us are on the tech side anyway hanging out on linkedin and you've got to think people that are typically the most active on linkedin are like tech marketers b2b marketers hr and sellers but think of all the industries outside of that there's a ton of industries outside of that. And these people don't hang out on LinkedIn as much, even though they're in B2B, they're more traditional in, in the way they do business. And a yeah. lot of those prospects, they start their searches for anything on Google. So a lot of these B2B kind of tech gurus are saying ignore SEO, but they're talking to their audience, like they're dealing with tech marketers, but they're forgetting about tons of industries that are gonna start their searches on Google as opposed to using like these communities and other channels that are let's say a bit newer age, like started in the last three to five years or so and a lot more popular, but only for those sectors, if that makes sense. Yeah, that does make sense. And even I had that experience, I was chatting to a friend who works in marketing. She's a marketing manager at a company that we would potentially want to work with, matches our ICP. And I was speaking to her about LinkedIn. I was like, oh, wouldn't it be funny if I accidentally sent you like a, when I was spamming out like messages when I was first getting onto LinkedIn, just at any marketing manager, I was like, oh, wouldn't it be funny if I just had sent one out to you? So we'd like check through and, and then she was like, yeah, but I don't use LinkedIn. I never go on it. I set it up when I came out of uni. I update my role, but I never go on it. And I was like, oh yeah, like you do get into that, the blinkers on and think, this is the only channel, this is the only way to get clients. But then you forget about the person who can only be reached if you cold call them or if you go to a networking event or other ways, essentially. I think one thing that your content is very good at and you're very vocal about saying as well is that SEO isn't right for every B2B company. So let's dive into that a bit. And when shouldn't B2B companies invest in SEO? A nice analogy here is like the great, the greatest sales professionals I have ever met qualify out early. So they know that not every prospect that they speak to is a good fit for them, as is the same with SEO. So there are some situations where SEO is not a great fit, i.e. if you're in a new sector or a new category. So if you're creating a product that doesn't fit in a traditional sector that's established, then SEO might not be the best bet. Reason being is people don't know your offer or your solution exists to fix their problem. So they're not going into Google and typing like, I don't know, let's say a new new form of CRM. They're not searching for some type of CRM because they don't know your offers out there. So it's not necessarily the best bet in that situation. Your probably better option there is actually understanding where your idle clients are hanging out. Maybe they're listening to a podcast. Maybe they're on YouTube. Maybe they are in specific communities offline and then starting to create content out on media on those outlets, educating them around the problems you solve, the value you bring to the table, how you're the benefits that you provide, et cetera, in case studies, whatever. And then over time, once the sector, once the offer that you have becomes more established, 
then you'll probably start getting some search volume on Google and you can capture that with SEO. I mean, you can, there is an argument that you could do SEO to a new category because you could just go real top of the funnel and just yeah. start answering questions that your idle clients have, start creating kind of content that's really, really early stage around queries, comparisons, those kind of searches. But in my opinion, you're much better off waiting for the sector to become established and using the other channels that your buyers are already on. Nice. And then a few other scenarios where SEO might not be the best fit is perhaps if you're, un, if you're a, I don't know, a tech company, you don't necessarily have to be in tech, but maybe you've got investors that are putting a ton of pressure on you and the sales team to hit revenue targets super fast, which happens a lot in the current climate. So you might be better off just putting a ton of cash behind paid search or different forms yeah. of paid advertising because SEO, as we know, typically you're looking at three months or so to, to see some kind of return, yeah. even with the fastest and most aggressive campaign. So those are a couple of situations where it might not be the, the best bet, or perhaps you just don't have the resources or spend to work with an agency or your own internal team to, to make it worthwhile. Yeah, exactly. I think people always underestimate how much effort goes into it. Like with that three month time scale, that's ambitious in most cases, and they don't realize how much work has to go into it to kind of hit that. And it's yeah, very under-resourced and undervalued. People don't realize how much you need to put into it. And I think the good point you mentioned there as well was around the new categories. And for those, is there, and it's not specifically just related to SEO, but is there anything that you would say to those companies, early stage tech companies in terms of their website? Like what kind of core components do you feel would go into the website, even if they're not investing SEO, but what does it need to have in place to help support all the other things that they're doing? Yeah, yeah. So a lot of tech companies these days, they use the traditional model. So most use the predictable re revenue model, which is basically they have SDRs that will cold call into target prospects and book demos for their account execs. And then the chances are in between setting those appointments, whether that's off cold calling, cold email, or some kind of cold outreach, maybe LinkedIn, yeah. prospects probably going to check out your website, right? And in B2B, and we can move on to other forms of outreach in a sec, but in B2B, most of the time, prospects don't have a ton of time. So they, they want to quickly get an idea of kind of what your company does, the value they, you bring to the table or the problem that you solve for them. Probably check out some proof of results, so some proof of work that you can do what you say you do. Testimonials, video reviews, case studies, G2 reviews, Captera reviews, etc. Check out your pricing. So make sure they can actually afford what you do. No one wants to sit on a call with a sales rep to be qualified only to find that your offer costs 10 grand a month, but they yeah. only budgeted one grand a month. Wastes everyone's time. They probably want to get their questions answered. So they might have some questions around if you integrate with their tool, how long it takes to set up, if they get a dedicated account manager. So understand the questions you get asked on a daily basis and put those in the relevant pages on your site as FAQs. On the basis that you check all those boxes, which 95% of B2B sites fail on, and yeah. then they want to easily schedule a call with your sales team. So they want to easily book a demo on your rep's calendar or book a consult call or whatever that next step is. So if you can nail those pieces, you're ahead of most B2B companies. Then yeah. if you can top that with a site that loads pretty quickly, has a design that's going to engage your, your, your target clients, has copy that resonates with target clients, I, aka speaks to the problems they care about, talks about the benefits and the features that they care about, and like I say, answers their questions quickly, then... You're probably one step ahead of the game yeah agreed nice setup and as you're saying yeah 95 percent of sites tend to at least fail one of those items if not 
the majority of them. And sticking on that topic of mistakes and moving back into SEO as well, what's the biggest mistake you see B2B companies make with SEO? I know we touched briefly on under-resourcing and budget there, but is there anything that else that you tend to see that B2B companies make? Loads, loads. So sometimes they'll go into things like blogs straight away and maybe that's because they've been recommended to do blogs straight away by a friend or by their agency or whoever but they haven't actually mapped out or built out their site properly or done any keyword research around capturing those high intent buyers because the main goal of seo let's be honest as a b2b company you want to scale your revenue you want to scale either inbound consult requests or inbound demos or whatever that point of conversation is so you can get a a qualified prospect to your sales team so you want to look at the bottom of the funnel aka what is a high intent prospect going to search when they need your solution today and let's say for example maybe you provide i don't know financial services to accountants let's say someone's going to search financial service company for accountants in this rare obscure situation (laughs) but that was just what came into my head so you want to make sure you show up when that is the case in that case a blog's not necessarily going to help you but what's better is you've looked into what terms are my ideal clients searching when they need it or what problems do they face that they might search for when they've got a kind of problem you fix, i.e. my accounting software isn't integrating with this or how to integrate this accounting software with this tool, something like that. So therefore, you want to make sure you build out these bottom of the funnel pages that match that search intent that someone's going to type in. So a lot of businesses, especially B2B, have very content thin sites. They've only got four or five pages yeah. Uh, maybe home about services contact maybe they've got a few blog posts that they were told to do like top five things to consider when investing in x or five things to do before y that's not really going to help you capture those high intent prospects that are searching for your offer today what instead what you want to do is yeah research those relevant terms and then build out best in class long form pages that directly address those solutions yes we're going to help you fix this These are the problems that prospects typically come to us to fix. This is how we do it. This is some case studies. These are some common questions around it. Here's a video summary, right? Here's some social proof. Here's a testimonial video review of our client. Here's a call to action. Now you can book a demo or book a consult or request a call with us. A lot of companies fail on those bottom of the funnel pages. We see that a lot. It tends to be one of the number one things that we'll see with our SEO clients is that you'll have a service page but you'll have all of the services listed on that page as either bullet points or as just little sections and it doesn't click through into having their own unique landing page so then that can then rank for the keyword that people are searching for so yeah it's something we see quite a lot on our side as well on the content side of things and moving over to the cannot have a chat about SEO without talking about links and in terms of how they feed into the strategies that you build out for your clients, how important are links and what kind of factor do you feel they'll keep playing in the years to come? There's always an argument, right? Some SEOs will say, oh, it's 100% content. Like if you build quality content and you build it super aggressively, put out 100 kind of long form pages or articles a month, then you're going to be fine because some of it's going to rank job done, which I think is true to some extent. Make sure your content really is best in class, i.e. it surpasses the other competitors when you Google the search term and it gives more unique stats, it gives better answers to their questions, it talks about the problems in more depth and basically gives the user the best possible information to their query. Now, yes, that's true. And that works very well for long tail searches, i.e. in our case, that might be something like B2B SaaS SEO company or B2B SaaS web development is a long tail search for us. 
Yeah. Fine. But when you're getting to super competitive terms, in our case, like web development or web development company or just SEO yeah. company or in B2B SaaS, something like B2B SaaS CRM or CRM company, etc., just having a best in class page is not enough because you're going against huge competitors that have got a ton of links, but not only a ton of links, they've got some super high domain authority links coming from juicy sites like HubSpot, maybe yeah. Salesforce and the like. You haven't got a chance in hell of ranking against them if they've got those kind of links. So yes, when you get to more competitive search terms that have a lot of competition, you need links if you want to stand a chance to ranking against them. And Google have said themselves that link, links are a trust building factor in the algo. They yeah. released, that, released that in notes before. So yes, when you're going more long tail, more specific, more niche keywords to rank, you can rank without links as long as you've got some authority behind your site. But when you're trying to get more and more competitive, links play a part. Yeah, so of course, there's there's a lot of sites out there where you can purchase links <laughs> from guest blogs ranging to more, let's say, trustworthy sites, perhaps editorial links, etc., which is probably more you want to stick to and you want to make sure you've got professional guidance around it when doing so. But there's a bunch of free ways that you can build links, like just yeah. like we're doing now. One way that I recommend is podcasting is actually quite a good way to build links. If you use a site called chartable.com, you can choose the sector you're in look at oh, the nice. top podcasts in your sector, then you can reach out to the hosts of each podcast and then give them a decent pitch over email, LinkedIn, whatever the best way to reach out to them is. Do a decent interview where you give value and give useful tips around your sector and then the chances are they'll do an article page on their site after the show goes out and you can ask for a link back to your back to your page. And there's another good one is if you, if you find complementary companies to your industry, like yeah. for us as web devs and SEO, then you might look for a CRM provider or an analytics tools provider or a SaaS solution provider that's complementary. To find a complementary company for your organization, reach out to them, maybe publish some content together. I don't know, a one-off podcast, one-off blog article, one-off video. Build out that article together and then link back to each other. And if they've got a decent site that's been around a few years, got some authority, that can give quite a juicy link. So there's a lot of ways when you get scrappy and get thoughtful and think about collaboration that you can actually build links for next to no cost but just yeah. a bit of your time i think it's just activities like that that are always on and can just be done in the background with not too much investment and the thing is as well that i've seen the all the people that we've interviewed for this podcast over the last month or so they've all recorded it themselves and they've all taken that and chopped it up themselves they've not only going on the podcast getting that link they've also then got this recording for themselves to then put out in their own marketing as well it's a great way of not only getting that link but it's useful for all your other marketing activity as well for sure uh, and in terms of one quite interesting thing that came up both in the chat with ryan stewart and with Rand fishkin as well was how their relationship has changed with seo over the years so initially both of them starting out very blinkered SEO is the only solution. Are there any parallels with your relationship with SEO and how that's happened and how do you tend to approach it now? Definitely, because when we first started years ago, we work with all kinds of clients. It's not until we've niched down to mainly B2B service and B2B tech companies that we serve. Yeah. And over the last kind of three or four years, maybe a bit longer. And when you look at these kind of offers, the products that these B2B companies sell, like we touched on at the start, they're not quick buying decisions, unless you're talking about, I don't know, $100, $50 tool that someone can just click on your website and then purchase. When you go above yeah. that price range, there's a lot of consideration that goes into it. People don't wake up and buy your stuff. There's 
generally are several decision makers involved in the process. It's going to involve some conversation back and forth. So that's when you realize that, yes, SEO is a piece of the puzzle, but you need a solid multi-channel approach for SEO to have the best impact. So when you start realizing that people are, yes, they're doing a Google search, yes, they're flicking onto your website, but after that stage, they might not inquire on their first time to your website. If they're super high intent and they need your offer today, yes, they might make the inquire or make the demo request today. Otherwise, they might flick off. Then you might want to consider using things like retargeting. Perhaps you retarget them on LinkedIn, serve them some case studies, serve them some useful guides, etc. Perhaps they flick onto your site for a bit and then they decide to consume your podcast for a while, which has <laughs> happened with us. I don't know, they subscribe to your YouTube or subscribe to your Apple podcast. Then they listen that to that to a while. Then they forget about you for a bit. Then they search for your offer again. Oh yeah, I remember that brand. Like I'm going back to on them. So the B2B cycle, the sales cycle is not linear. So you'll see yeah. that SEO will play a piece of the puzzle, but it's, I'm not going to lie to you and say it's the entire thing. There's a lot of channels that that make up it. And when you get on these sales conversations and you ask your sales team to say, look, what was your journey to discovering us today? That's when you'll uncover like the full journey to how they actually found you and the route they take. Yeah. We had someone reach out to me on like my personal Instagram saying that they had read one of my blog posts and was looking to see if we could help them implement what I'd written about. First of all, I was thinking, hold on, how did the website not convert them and did the website fail in that side of things? But then it was also thinking like, it's just, you have this idea of this pretty little funnel of someone moving through and doing this and this, but it's not until they reach out to you on your personal Instagram account and yeah. they're like, oh, okay, like it's, they'll get in touch with you what is in the way that's convenient for them and, and when they want to, as much as you want them to kind of get in touch with you when you want them to, so. I really encourage B2B teams to make sure as part of their sales process, they ask the journey that people took to, to find them. Because I know yeah. Chris Walker and the Refined Labs crew encourage you to put how do you hear about us on our form, on their and inquiry forms, demo forms, but I don't think that's enough. Because I've had many examples where people just put Google or they put LinkedIn. In fact, recently someone put LinkedIn on how do they hear about us. On the actual sales call, I said, oh, I see you mentioned LinkedIn. Like, were you getting so tired of my content that you thought you'd make me shut (laughs) up and you reach out to me just to make me shut up? He's like, nah, man, it wasn't even LinkedIn. Like, I listened to your podcast for like a few months. And then Uh... I realized you actually knew a little bit about what you were talking about. So I decided to reach out. (laughs) If I had just took his form fill, which was how do you hear about us LinkedIn, it would be completely wrong. It's the podcast, yeah. you tune into that. So getting your sales team to dive a bit deeper gives you the kind of a bit of a finer insight into the route that they took. I think a lot of SEO campaigns and strategies, especially with the agency client relationship, it's first of all, a lot of them will just be like, hey, we've got you some traffic. Amazing. Go us. And then the next step would be like, hey, look, great. We've got you some leads. Wonderful. And then I feel really there's that disconnect between being like did that lead turn into a paying customer was it a good paying customer do we want more of these customers is that kind of disconnect and it's almost the same with that rather than just being like great we got 50 leads okay well what was the quality and as you said i think that's always the first thing i'm just so interested on when i get on that initial discovery call is that how did you hear about us what was that journey like and figuring out what stood out for them in it and yeah agree with you that it needs Mm. to have both of that self-reported attribution but then also just validating it and digging into it a little bit by saying you said LinkedIn but exactly how on LinkedIn for example so and in terms of 
taking it back to SEO and to a company that say hasn't invested heavily in SEO or has started and stopped and stuttered a little bit. Let's say I am running marketing at B2B company and we are looking to invest in SEO again or even for the first time. Where would you recommend that we start? It's knowing essentially that one of the first things you want to do if you're going to invest in organic SEO and you've not done anything before is knowing the ideal clients and the exact solutions that you want to serve and the problems you fix. But it's Mm -hmm. amazing how many B2B companies, how many marketers, how many founders don't actually know the problem that their offer fixes. Most of the time when I ask people what problems you fix, they tell me the benefits. Oh, yeah, we work with, I don't know, marketing directors in tech companies with 50 to 100 staff and we give this benefit or we improve their revenue by 10x or we can speed up integration by 5x. It's like, that's not a problem. That's a benefit. Mm. Why is someone so frustrated that they've got this bleeding neck issue that they're eventually coming to you with? Because once you know that, that's like rocket fuel for your ads, for your content, for your media, your videos, your podcasts, etc. So that's important, knowing who you want to actually target and knowing what solutions you what are most profitable that you actually want to get acquire clients for. And then keyword research. But traditional keyword research, as we know it, just using tools like Ahrefs, SEMrush, Keyword Planner, mm-hmm. is, it's, got its, it's got its part for sure because it's going to give you an idea of traditional terms, bottom of the funnel terms. But you want to also look at problem searches and you also want to consider what's called zero traffic searches which is where you get really niche and long-term. Like I'm doing a lot of this for our own company, WebChoice. So things like B2B SaaS SEO company, B2B FinTech SEO company, stuff like that. I'm going after really obscure terms that there's, there's still a bit of competition for, but the traditional tools tell me that there's zero. But I know that if a high intent client types in that search, we come up top and give them the answers they need, then they're going to inquire. So I'm happy to let all our competitors neglect these terms. So thinking about different stages, once you've nailed those, let's say, bottom of the funnel, high intent problems, high intent solution terms, then you can work your way up the funnel where people are perhaps comparing you to another vendor, where people are perhaps looking for different terms around their industry, etc. But yeah, you've got to build out your website. So a big part of this is on-page SEO. And I could talk yeah. about this for hours. So feel <laughs> free to stop me when you get bored. It's like I said earlier, a lot of B2B companies, a lot of tech companies, their websites are really thin. They just have four or five pages, maybe a little blog section. Yeah. And it's like we, we touched on, really. You need to make sure you've got those pages for each individual main service that you want to be selling, each main offer, perhaps each main industry, each main segment, perhaps each geographic location. Yeah. So just thinking about that alone, that could be 5, 10, 20, 30 different pages alone. Only then, once you've mapped out all those core services and offers, can you start thinking about mapping out the blog articles and working up the funnel. Yeah. And then there's technical SEO, right? And it's quite funny because I know you and I, Steve, put out a post recently on LinkedIn about Google almost backtracking. Because they they were saying that Core Web Vitals and having a fast site, having a secure site, having a mobile-friendly site was a be-all, end-all. Now it's, oh, yeah, that's not important. Not as important. Now you've just got to serve prospects what they're actually searching for and give them a good experience. It's it's a funny one. Yeah, I feel like (laughs) it's almost like part of me thought the reason why they had gone back on core web vitals because i felt it was very complicated compared to that simple score in the top so i can see why they did it because it's like i think people thought great we've got 95 why aren't we ranking top and then i think a similar thing happened with core web vitals i think part of it was it is quite confusing to people who aren't familiar with it and aren't developers and then also if we score high on it why aren't we ranking and i think they've now tried to say provide a good experience and it's like 
how do you even quantify a good experience? It's not possible. And it could mean five different things to five different people. And yeah, it just always seems to go back to the provide a good user experience and then that's it, you'll rank well. But we know full well that is true, but that's a small, tiny part of it. And the bigger part is content and the bigger part is links. How many times have you been outranked by a terrible website that's built some fairly dodgy links that you don't want to build, but they've gone and done it? And you think, oh, okay, well, there's definitely more to it than just providing a good experience. That's it. That's why it's always so valuable for companies that are starting out on SEO to really niche down and get as long tail as they can, as specific as they can with their search yeah. queries, because the more specific you go, the less competition you go. And also, the, usually the more higher intent prospects you can bring them on board. Yeah. And it's funny you should mention all that, because the best example of going against the Google guidelines is VAT Calculator. If you search VAT Calculator, uh, okay. the top listing yeah. comes up with a site that's not mobile responsive, <laughs> doesn't even has an SSL certificate, so it's unsecure, but this site's top of Google. Yeah. It's been there top for years and years. I think it's you literally just type back back calculator as the top listing. Yeah. And yeah, it's just funny because it goes against everything that Google's ever put out in terms of kind of guidelines to follow. But like you yeah. said, Steve, I think you've got to strike a balance. So you've got to work to EEAT and experience, expertise, authority, trust, but at the same time with the content and show you've got hands-on experience in the field. But at the same time, if your site's slow, doesn't work well on the device, if the menu nav's hard to follow, if there's not clear call to actions, etc., a user's just going to get pissed off and fire over to a competitor that gives them a more enjoyable experience. Your bounce rate's going to be sky high if you don't follow those things. <laughs> and just stepping back a tiny little bit to where we were talking about the geographical pages or those niche pages, for example, fintech SEO or say fintech web design, so those kind of specific niche service pages. How do you prioritize those? So you've done your keyword research, you've now got a list of keywords, fairly similar search volumes, or there's no real clear winner. How would you then go about prioritizing those to get produced first? Yeah, in terms of business output, really, what are the most profitable clients that you actually want to be working with? And you might start with maybe some pages that have got a little bit of traffic because there's some searches going on. So what are the type of prospects, the type of clients, type of customers that you know are going to be going to give you the best LTV lifetime value for your business? Yeah. Start with those might make sense. Once you've hit yeah. those top four or five offers, then work your way out, start branching out to customers that are still useful, but perhaps not as great, not as revenue driving as the others and branch out to the next step below. Once you've nailed all those kind of top solutions in those top industries and you've built out the pages for those solutions and those industries, and then you can start working your way kind of a bit higher up the funnel and start maybe doing blog articles that, that compare vendors or that ask questions or answer questions or give insights, etc. I think that's a very underreported step during the keyword research is looking at how much of a priority it is for the business, how much revenue it makes them the profit margin and the lifetime value. I think it's something that is often neglected where a lot of the time the SEO agency will be like, it's not my remit or that doesn't matter. We just go after the low difficulty, high search volume keywords, which play an important role and factor into it. But if that keyword is worth double to you in terms of business value, it's going to be need to be focused on first. Great example for our industry, Steve, is like if you go after terms in our, our situation, like SEO company or SEO agency, yeah. they're high cost per click and they're also quite competitive to rank for, but the type of inquiries you get are shocking. They're yeah. just most of the time, they're very generic. They're small, sh they're small shops or small teams that want 
our solutions for a hundred quid, a few hundred quid a month. When you get specific into the industries that you know actually have cash and appreciate these are things worthwhile investing and you get long tail with those search queries we talked about, those yeah. clients actually know these these things cost money, they need a solid strategy and investment. And likewise, for take that for your own industry and alter it as you need, you'll start realizing that you might get fewer inquiries, but the type of inquiries you get are actually the ones you want. Yeah, we rank for, I think it's SEO Agency Cambridge, but then there's a more specific one where we are WordPress Agency Cambridge. And we've had some amazing leads for the WordPress Agency Cambridge. And then we were ranking at a point for, say, Shopify Agency Cambridge as well, compared to that sort of top level, just SEO Agency Cambridge. And again, could be some difference between people a bit further down the decision making process on what they need or it could just be a case of those seo agency keywords aren't as good to rank for but it's again it's that kind of see what's working in your industry well because you always see people on linkedin once every so often you'll see the person who will dismiss ranking first for say seo agency london or seo agency as it being generic but there are some local terms that we found have worked quite well outside of london for example like many things you're right you've got a, i think it's you've got to strike a balance right like the niche yeah. long tail terms that are specific to the industries you want to attract you want to do that because that's a shorter term way they typically can rank a lot faster like three four months perhaps a bit higher and then you want to go after the monster terms that maybe have got a ton of traffic they know will yeah. give some leads like in our case i think we've got web development company kind of yeah. page one the top three organic spots that brings us some terrible inquiries but on the flip yeah. side we get some massive brands every now and then that come in that want to discuss kind of high six-figure contracts and it's like well it's worthwhile it's taken a long time to achieve but it's it's a big hit because it gets kind of decent inbound requests every now and then we've seen a similar thing as well on our side for a few other keywords where it just depends how that person on the other side is searching for it we've had some big brands who you would potentially think oh they all maybe have a preferred web partner that they worked with at a previous brand or something like this but they've just literally gone onto google picked the top five agencies that rank for the keyword, got them all to send a proposal and gone through it, that approach. It just really does depend, doesn't it, on the searcher on the other side and there's no hard and fast rule for it, really. Exactly. And moving into talking about technical SEO just a little bit and thinking of small to medium-sized companies, so not enterprise-level massive sites with ginormous blogs and resource sections. How important is technical SEO in a B2B SEO strategy for these size companies? Yeah, I think it's important for a couple of reasons. So first off, just nailing good on-page SEO is smart. So making sure, and that it's twofold really. One from an SEO perspective, because Google, like we talked about before, did place a lot of importance on web vitals, and it's not to say they might flip the switch next month. So they yeah. might say, yeah, you need mobile friendliness, quick loading site, easy navigation, good user experience is important. But likewise, sound technical SEO is so making sure things like, I don't know, you've got your heading tags sorted out, you've got met your metadata sorted out, you've got your H1s down to H3s, et cetera, sorted out. It's smart, and then you've got internal links. So if you're doing, I don't know, a long form page, and then maybe you reference another service and you link back to that service, that can give a small SEO uptick. So doing that is good basic it does play a small part in your SEO strategy, but also from a, a user experience point. So making sure that when people actually land on your site, that they're not going to get frustrated because your site takes ages to load. Perhaps yeah. your navigation is poor, or perhaps when they go onto the mobile version of your site and they expand your menu, it's quite hard to read, or it's not clear on how they can find certain pieces of information or book a demo or view a case study. So just it's just smart business sense. 
and real smart B2B companies, they build their websites for their buyers. So they're constantly taking feedback from prospects or customers and they're asking questions like what's working well about our site? What do you feel is missing from our site? What could be improved on our website? Because when you really understand who you're building it for and you're building like a feedback loop of what could be improved and you're taking yeah. that common feedback you get and actually in putting that into play, whether that's for your con your copy, whether that's for the pages themselves or for sections that you feel that prospects are saying that's missing, then that way, rather than guessing what is actually going to make an impact because you're getting it straight from the horse's mouth. Yeah, I think that's something where I've mentioned before about it being underreported in keyword research about the business direction. I think that's the same with that user research. It can add another wealth of knowledge to an SEO campaign and really help to add lots of insights. And as you say, like create this firewall of information and feedback that's coming into the site to improve it and continually improve that user experience. And if you're then already sending traffic to the site, if you can convert that better, it's going gonna, it's gonna to make that SEO result look even better. And in terms of measuring success and how can marketing managers or the people in charge of marketing at B2B companies effectively track and measure the success of their SEO efforts, is there anything they should be looking out for? Yeah, of course, the main thing you want is bottom line revenue, which just before that is going to be either booked calls, booked demos, quote requests, proposal requests, whatever your proponent of your site is to strike a sales conversation. So yeah. those are the real end goals. But before that, if we look a bit higher up, then it's going to be things like actually ranking page one, top three organic spots for those target search terms that are going to bring on board those idle clients that have intent for your offer or have intent for a problem you fix. Then seeing an uptick in that relevant organic traffic, then perhaps seeing an uptick in things like session times, so when you review your analytics, your session times on those main pages that you want people to be on, whether that's your homepage, your pricing page, your case study pages, et cetera, which is also going to be beneficial when you look at the prospects you want to retarget. So analyzing those things like page rankings, page traffic, session times on key pages you want people on. And then, of course, bottom of the funnel, actually getting those inquiries, getting those leads and those leads turning into customers that you want to do business with. Yeah, I think that's the kind of common misconception isn't it almost on LinkedIn where someone will be like oh it'll take like anywhere from six to 12 months to get results for SEO but what that doesn't say is that you will produce a piece of content you'll see it rank at say 95th position then you see it go up 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 down a little bit up 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 so there's little murmurs you see and things that you can keep an eye on that send signals to you that this is working and I think a lot of people don't factor that in and be like, look, there is stuff that will work. It's not just suddenly, oh, in six months time, we'll start seeing organic revenue like pop off. It's like there are things that we can look at, monitor, report on, feed into the leadership team to be like, this is working. Let's keep going with it. So, You've got to think of it as a channel. And you've, the good thing about SEO is that you own it to a sense. So you're building on your website, which is an asset. And it's, if you're B2B, it's probably one of the most important foundational marketing assets that you control and that you own. So every time you add a piece of content, a new page, a blog article, etc., you're building on the asset, you're building on your ecosystem. And the beauty of SEO is you're not paying for every click through, whereas with paid yeah. search, with LinkedIn ads, review sites, you're paying for every click. But organic SEO, you're building up an evergreen ecosystem. So not just can you, can you gain leads for now, but you can gain inquiries for years to come. So every, every time someone searches for your offer, asks a question around your offer, compares you to a competitor. If you've done great SEO, you're going to show up top three every time and you're going to have a chance to kind of get that prospect in your funnel. 
Nice. And in terms of not specifically focused on SEO, just more about you at WebChoice as a company, what does your content production process look like? Do you say focus on that blog post, say first, and then repurpose it based on that? Or I know you do a lot on YouTube. So do you create that YouTube video and then repurpose it from there? Ours is a bit of a mess, really, because it's whatever comes into my head at the time. <laughs> it's completely different to client strategy, our own. It's basically yeah. because I run a lot of experiments because I co-own the agency. I can, of course, get away with what I, whatever the hell I want to do, whereas, of course, marketing managers, etc., marketing directors aren't probably going to have the flex that I've got. So, yeah, yeah mine's, mine's all over the shop, really, Steve. Like, right at the moment, we're building out a bunch of niche, long-form pages for all the main offers and main sectors and main industries that we want to bring in um, that we've perhaps neglected up to now. We also, like you said, every podcast we do is a, like a YouTube video and its own podcast. Yeah. And then for the specific ones, we'll build out article pages around that. And, and most, of the get, most of the solo episodes I do are around questions that I get asked about SEO or B2B marketing or website optimization. So then I know they've got a bit of demand behind them. So if, someone's asked, if a few people have asked me, I know other people are probably searching for it. So it's a mix of that, really. Mix of kind of doing those niche long form pages, a mix of doing que- questions that I get asked and then repurposing those to videos and podcasts and building out an article and then chopping those up into LinkedIn social clips to keep me messing around on there that kind of stuff really mate yeah because it makes posting on LinkedIn so much easier when you have all of this other content around here it's just so easy because you're like okay well those four bullet points from that one section of that blog post perfect that makes a LinkedIn post and that clip from the video cut it out put it over there it still takes time but those little ideas are so much easier because you've taken lots of time up here to think about them and then be like, is what I'm saying correct? And then you can just put it out over on LinkedIn fairly easily. It's a good way to get feedback fast as well, isn't it? You can yeah. quickly tell if something has traction, like if, if there's useful comments or if people repost it or if they ask questions or if they tag their peers. Uh, yeah. It's really good. I've nearly always, not always, but nearly always found that when I get asked questions and I repurpose those into posts, those tend to do quite well or I reenact scenarios where I've been asked certain things or had unusual conversations those tend to do quite well because people can resonate with it yeah they're the, almost the easiest ones as well because someone's already given you the point and then you just need to articulate it nicely and put it in a readable format so we touched briefly about the approach that you do at web choice with your seo and how that tends to be different for how you do it from your clients how does that look different in terms of how we structure a campaign for clients yeah it's like we talked about earlier, really. I mean, understanding first, I think a lot of the time, like you said, Steve, when SEO goes wrong is when agencies just want to go after kind of terms that are perhaps easy for them to rank for, but don't really drive decent types of inquiries. Maybe they look good on the reports, i.e. they say, like you see on LinkedIn quite a lot, they've got a skyrocket in terms of the graph chart. Yeah. We've 10x organic traffic. And then you'll comment on these LinkedIn posts and be like, okay, how many of those contributed to demo requests and how many contributed to like brothel revenue and there's just like crickets, no response. So that's why understanding those your clients that you're working with, the problems they fix, their target markets and what they want to get out of as a result and, and also the other channels that they use at the moment to so how SEO can play a part of it is so crucial and like you say, re- regularly chatting with them to see how things are going because reports will, might show one thing but then the inquiries yeah. that are coming in might turn out like, for example, we might target a few keywords and then the inquiries that come in might be quite poor. So we'll say, OK, we've learned from this. We learned that those inquiries were too high up in the funnel. They were too early stage or perhaps they were tire kickers. They were the wrong type of industry. Let's shift our focus to this segment, to this market. 
because you've reported that the sales team have had success from this other channel on that market. All right, let's focus our content for the next couple of months on that around that. Let's focus our link building strategy around that. Let's build out some media. Let's look for some partnerships. Let's build some links on this sector and see how that goes. So yeah, yeah. making sure that you're actually working towards, because most B2B companies want their site to drive leads but no yeah. one wants that don't go anywhere or customers that churn really quick or customers that don't have cash to invest. So making yeah. sure you're actually doing it around the right markets is really important. Yeah, getting those customers that either churn or aren't the ideal customers that you want to be working with is almost more annoying than not having them in the first place, especially if you say hired extra resource or you've changed your way of working or you've not worked with an ideal client because you've got this current capacity taken up, for example. So yeah, it's always a pain yeah. in that sense. In the last few minutes that we've got, I don't think we can avoid not talking about AI, of course. And that topic has come up in pretty much all of the podcast interviews that we've done because there is a very high chance it's going to change drastically the way that we do SEO. And how do you personally feel that AI will change the way that SEO is done and delivered? So day-to-day -day tasks and tactics. It's going to be interesting. And truth be told, I don't know exactly what it's, what's going to happen. I'd be in the thing I'm most interested about right now, Steve, is how Google play it because yeah. Google want to want to take our cash. They want to make a ton of money through advertising. Let's not beat around the bush. They're getting a ton of their revenue through Google AdWords, and it will be really interesting to see if Google actually want to put search results before click-throughs, i.e., when you ask a question, when you search for a vendor, so you don't have to click through on the listing, whether that's organic or paid. But they literally give you the answers there, and whether yeah. they build some kind of middle system that's not like you have to click through to a website to get the info you're after, but maybe you get a snippet of the info, like almost like featured snippets now, but yeah. something a bit more evolved. So AI comes in between, they still generate some cash because you're giving part of the answer. So maybe they reduce the amount of listings you get or some of that. So it's gonna be interesting to see what Google do in terms of giving your answer before you click through. But in terms of AI, I think it's, if you're neglecting it, then you're probably making things hard for yourself or your team because it can be really good in terms of kind of building out con content topics, building out frameworks for your blog articles, your service yeah. pages, uh, not blindly following it, but getting like a starting foundation, then tweaking that with your own insights, your own ideas, your own questions and answers and things like that. So there's definitely a place for it right now. What I'm most curious about is to how it's going to impact the search listing pages, the search engine result pages over the next year or two. That's going to yeah. be a funny thing to see. Yeah, I saw that screenshot of, was it Google Maggie, where it's like the, had no ad there, like all of the top comments were like, where are the ads? And I feel like it might be a, not a knee jerk reaction, but something just to get out there, don't lose the market share to Microsoft. And then at some point in the future, figure out how to monetize it. So almost let's just get something in place that people will use and then we'll figure out how to monetize it. Otherwise, if they keep letting stuff slip to Microsoft, who are, to be fair to them, we've made fun of Bing for many years, but they're on a roll at the moment in terms of AI and staying ahead of the curve in this aspect. So it'll be interesting to see if they can keep that going or if Google will all hands on deck and pull it back a bit. It's, it's going to be a funny time. The next 12 months or so are going to be a really interesting stage for SEO. So it'll be good yeah. to see where it goes. Yeah, exactly. And as you said, I think it's if you're doing SEO well and you have certain processes set up in place, it's this part here, we can get generative AI to work on that. This part here, we can do that. We can get nicer images or these little things to assist you and people with the good process in place that can figure out that can go to there, that can go to there. And then use it to assist them rather than just being like 
write this post to outrank this, which is is gets a few likes on LinkedIn, but it's not going to work really, is it? Yeah, I think people see around it. I think the biggest mistake that's with SEO is that people aren't, like I said with the websites, it's not built for bu- with buyers in mind. It's just blindly following software tools like Ahrefs, SEMrush, etc., which are fine. There's nothing wrong with those tools, but you're limiting yourself. If you don't yeah. really understand, like I talked about earlier, the problems that you fix, what prospects search when they need your offer, what questions they have, and you, to do that, you need to listen to sales calls. You need to use tools like Gong, or you need to hold the sales calls yourself, or you need to start yeah. interviewing your other clients. Such a useful exercise to do for not just SEO, for B2B marketing in general, and it's neglected by so many people. Yeah, agreed. And yeah, final question for me really is just how can people stay up to date with you and where's best to follow along for your sage advice? Appreciate it. So yeah, LinkedIn, I post a couple of times most days. Um, otherwise, if you want more SEO tips and B2B marketing tips for free, you can check out my podcast, Business Growth Show. Otherwise, if you're perhaps feeling a bit frustrated that when idle clients are searching for your offer, competitors <laughs> are showing up above you on Google, stealing those leads and inquiries, or maybe your website's not converting as well as you'd hope, then we're over at webchoiceuk.com. Nice. Perfect. Amazing. Yeah. For everybody listening, thank you for tuning in. This has been Bite Size B2B Marketing and you can follow along for clips of the podcast on LinkedIn and we're also on all good podcast platforms. So Sam, thank you for coming on. I appreciate your time. Cheers, Steve.